Man, good to see you all on this Good Friday 2022. We've been in the uh, focus this month on forgiveness. And as we think about the crucifixion of Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us, I want you to contemplate this um, truth about forgiveness. And that is that God's forgiveness isn't fair. God's forgiveness isn't fair. We're going to look at the story of the crucifixion from Luke chapter 23. And as we examine it, I want you to perhaps see yourself in the story. It always, uh, it's fascinating me to think about what would it have been like if I had been there um, when Jesus walked the earth. Tonight, I want you to think about what if you'd have been there when Jesus went to the cross. Um, Luke's gospel in, again, chapter 23, he reveals for us some different characters that are observers or participants in the story in what is happening to Jesus. And it's amazing as they go through this, uh, this incredibly um, painful circumstance and, uh, and situation for Jesus, it's interesting to note different people's interaction with it, how they respond, how they see it. Certainly none of them understood the significance of what was going on, even Jesus' own disciples didn't grasp the significance of the moment, but Luke reveals to us the responses of many different individuals, and I think they kind of mirror people's responses today, the response that people have had over thousands of years to the significance of the story of the crucifixion. As Luke reveals the stories, it unfolds for us. Following the pronouncement of death by Pilate, Here's how the story continues in verse 26 of Luke chapter 23. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldier seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Simon the Cyrene, you know, Cyrene was in northern Africa, and Simon perhaps wasn't really well known even to the early church. You know, in Mark's gospel, he notes that he's the father of a couple of young men that maybe they knew a little better, Alexander and Rufus. And so maybe Alexander and Rufus got involved in the early church, but maybe Simon wasn't as well known. That's kind of how it seems as Mark tells it. But anyway, this, this guy Simon kind of happens in to the story and to the, into what happen, is happening to Jesus as he goes through the crucifixion. Just as the pronouncement of judgment is made by Pilate reluctantly. Remember, Pilate found no fault in him. He put him on trial. He couldn't find anything wrong. He sent him to Herod Antipas. Herod didn't find anything wrong with him. He had him beat, whipped in the hopes that the Jewish leaders would relent from their demand that he be crucified, which they did not. And so here is Jesus, not the typical crucifixion victim, not the typical um, criminal who's been judged to die or, or sentenced to die. Jesus had been beaten so physically, he's unable to do what most, if not all criminals would have done, which is to carry the top beam down from the city, the place where the judgment was pronounced to Golgotha, the place of the skull where the crucifixions took place. Jesus physically unable to do it. The Roman soldiers see Simon. He 
kind of becomes a coerced follower in a way. He's pulled into the stories, pulled into what's happening, seemingly not really interested, not really wanting to be involved, probably, but he's forced to. He kind of fulfills a couple of things by his involvement. Number one, he helps Jesus. He helps Jesus in a time of great struggle and pain. Jesus unable to fulfill this part of his mission. Simon carries his cross for him. He ensures that Jesus is able to fulfill his mission to die. In another kind of interesting way, he fulfills what Jesus talked about in Mark 8. 34, where he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must take up their cross daily and follow me. And Simon literally takes up the cross of Christ to carry it. A coerced follower. I don't know. Children kind of start off this way, pulled into the work of God because their parents are involved, forced to go to church, even to a Good Friday service sometimes. And they go, hey, I'm a part of this because my parents are, right? So yeah, of course we'll go. It's a big deal to mom, you know. And I've been a part of God's work. I've helped out. I know I was pretty young when I started setting up chairs, you know, and tables, helping with the work of God, but I didn't really understand what it was all about. Maybe you could see yourself in the story of the crucifixion as kind of like Simon the Cyrene, a coerced follower. The story goes on, and Luke reveals another group of individuals there. He says, In verse 27, a large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs who have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? A group of women consumed with the drama. Empaths, we call them, right? Empathetic people, feeling the emotion of what's going on drawn into the story because it's so horrific. Jesus, this innocent guy, he's done so many good things. I know somebody that he helped. I know somebody that he healed. He was such a good teacher, and now he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. <laughs> just, just feeling the drama of it all. But Jesus kind of recognizes that they don't really get it. They don't really know what's going on. Sometimes it might be like the people that come to the funeral because they feel so bad that this person died so young or it's so tragic, right? Caught up in the emotion of it, but don't really understand what's going on. Not really connected to it personally. These women, Jesus kind of checks them a little bit. He says, hey, listen, you don't need to cry for me. If you knew what was happening here, if you understood it, you'd probably be a little joyful because of the work that I'm doing. My death is purposeful. This death has a meaning, the suffering I'm going through. But boy, What's going to happen to you soon is going to be real trouble brought on you and your families. There are those today, I think, that maybe get caught up in the drama, the emotion, the feelings associated, sometimes with going to church, being with family, following tradition. But again, not really connected to the reality of what's going on in a personal way. 
empathetic, feel bad, feel good. Lots of feelings associated with all of this stuff, with the gospel, with Christianity, with Jesus, but maybe not yet really grasping what's going on. Luke goes on to reveal another group of individuals in Luke 23, verse 34, the second half. He says, and the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Here we have some calloused opportunists. They're a part of it. They're actually responsible for crucifying Jesus. They're the executioners. They've seen this so much. They've been through it so much. They no longer feel anything related to a victim as they hang on the cross, writhing in pain, trying to catch a breath in the throes of death. All they're worried about is the opportunity for themselves. But we can get some money out of this. There's some clothes that are going to be no longer needed. Let's gamble for them. People like this see opportunity everywhere. They are really in it for their own benefit. See how they'll capitalize. Even in situations that would cause most people to feel something, they typically think about the opportunity in it. Not wasting a moment to gain. These soldiers are literally killing God. They've hung the Savior of the world, the Messiah, on the cross. And they're worried about gaining a little money for themselves. Maybe it's kind of like those individuals that participate. Okay, I'll go to church every once in a while. Need to be a citizen in good standing. So people in the community, you know, know that I'm interested in that. And that'll help my business. Or it'll ensure that I get more profits don't really understand what's going on, calloused to the situation at hand, even though these individuals were involved. The next group in Luke 23, as we move through the story into verse 34, Luke tells us that uh, a crowd was there. It says, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. These leaders, unbelieving skeptics. See, they were hardened by power and position. Not only did they not want, or did they not think Jesus was the Messiah, they were determined that he would not be the Messiah. See, they were the gatekeepers. If the Jewish people were going to move in a direction, if there was going to be a savior, they were going to determine who that was. They had the position, they had the power, and that's how they saw these things unfold. Their hearts were callous. They were unbelieving, really, in the work of God. All they were concerned with was what was going to happen in the here and now. They saw the reality of the shifts and the winds of circumstance, and they were going to control it. And so they scoffed, mocking, worried that the people around would see something they would believe in. These foolish, small-minded people, so easily manipulated. Intellectual skeptics, versed in the law. They knew it all, but their hearts were hardened. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, said, you look good on the outside, but inside you're dead. Luke 23, verse 39, the story goes on as Luke reveals to us. 
there were three crosses that day at Golgotha, three individuals being crucified. Jesus in the middle and on each side, a criminal, a thief. In verse 39, Luke tells us that one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Two criminals executed on each side of Jesus. Guilty of crimes, deserving the death sentence. Jesus hung in the middle innocent on trumped up charges because he was not the leader the Jews wanted. This first criminal, this first skeptical criminal was kind of represents those people that are ignorant right to the end. (laughs) They're not going to respond to Jesus. They're not going to see who he is, not going to respond, don't believe in him. They've got their own plan, they're in control, and they're defiant right to the end. I think of some skeptics out there who have actually told people, if you hear of some confessional on my deathbed, don't believe it. It's not true. I am defiant. I will not believe. It's almost as though there's something missing cognitively, right? The inability to see spiritual reality. Um, Richard Swinburne is a philosopher, kind of a guy that, uh, a Christian apologist. And in his book, The Existence of God, he kind of indicates that those individuals that seem unable to deduce, uh, deduce the existence of God from the existing evidence, which is all around us, something must be missing. Um, it's, it's kind of a harsh, maybe a harsh way to say it, but it's like, why can't you see what virtually everyone sees? It almost, sees, it almost seems as though there's, an, there's effort being put in, a defiance, right? I'm not going to believe in God. I'm not going to consider the reality of what happens and what exists. This thief had seen Jesus. He saw and knew all about him. And yet he was defiant. Showed no remorse for his life and his actions. And we see the contrast to him in the other thief who says something altogether different in Luke 20, 23 verse 40, 41 starting there. He says, but the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man has done nothing, uh, he hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I kind of see this thief as the deathbed confessional. He didn't live his life according to the law. He lived it his own way. He knew that he had lived in sin. He recognized it. But when faced with death, he acknowledged the error of his ways. And hanging next to Jesus, he recognized who he was. He saw in him the Son of God, the Messiah. He chastised the unrepentant, unremorseful criminal. And he acknowledged his need for grace and mercy and forgiveness. He asked Jesus with all humility, Jesus, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus' response, of course, reflecting the heart of God, the nature of God's forgiveness. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I've met so many people that are reluctant to ask God for forgiveness because they're like, nope, I rejected him. I know that I've lived in opposition to him and I'm not going to come ask for forgiveness now. And yet many, when faced with death, are willing to relent, 
give in, acknowledge their need for God with real humility. The next, what happens next is the death of Jesus. He um, breathes his last and uh, the sky goes dark, the earth shakes. And we see our last character in the story as Luke writes it for us. In Luke 23, verse 47, when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. An objective observer, someone willing to consider the facts, consider the evidence at hand, and he was willing to be swayed. It was possible because he was open He didn't know for sure who Jesus was at the beginning, but when he saw how Jesus died, the character with which the Son of God went to his death, faced suffering, faced ridicule, and was consistent to the end, showing his character, this individual believed. In Luke 23, verse 34, we see Jesus' response to each one of these individuals. You may relate to one of them. You may have been like one of them. Maybe you're still in one of those spots. We all have a different response to the death of Jesus, to the crucifixion of God. But we see the heart of God, the unreasonable nature of his forgiveness. In Luke 23, verse 34, the beginning of it, this is, Luke tells us Jesus' response to this whole scene. All the individuals that were a part of the story, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. God's grace, his forgiveness isn't fair. It's scandalous. And if you're honest, it's unsettling. The fact that God would forgive someone like the thief on the cross on his deathbed, asking for for forgiveness, having lived his whole life apart from God, it's not right, it's not fair. I've met a lot of people that go, no, that can't be right. That that just can't be the way it works. How about the people that are opposition to God? How about the ones that were killing him? Do Do you understand that Jesus' heart was to forgive all of them, right? In fact, as they were killing him, committing the sin, perhaps the greatest sin you could commit, killing the Son of God, he said, no, God, forgive them, show mercy, give them a little more time. A little more time, one more day, one more week, one more month. Maybe their eyes will be open and they'll see who I am and they'll see their need for me. They'll come back to a relationship with me. It's amazing how the heart of God works, how the forgiveness of God comes to play. And yet for many, the response is just like the individual in the story, not really connecting to their need and to the facts of what God has done. There was an attorney that after meditating um, on some scripture, he decided to forgive the debts of several of his clients, those that had owed him money for more than six months. He was just gonna absolve them. And so he sat down and wrote some, some letters, debt forgiveness, 17 of them. Sent them out by, uh, through the postal service, certified mail. I was kind of alarmed as they started to come back. And uh, it didn't take long before all 17 were back in his possession. He thought, well, maybe a couple of these people might have moved, but this is kind of odd. They came to discover that 16 of them were unsigned for. 
and unopened because the individuals receiving them were afraid it was a lawsuit they were receiving papers for and they were going to be sued for their unpaid debts. They were being offered forgiveness, but they thought what was coming was judgment. The Bible tells us that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. There is a time of judgment coming, but we live in a season of grace, love, and forgiveness. God wants to heal and forgive you. I wonder if you, could, if you would, on this Good Friday, this Easter weekend, 2022, if you'd reconsider your position and your response to the death of God. The heart of God is like the heart of a father for you. Your response, your rejection, your lack of commitment, not willing to walk with him and follow him. See, he's willing and able to overlook all of that. He just simply wants your heart reconnected to his. It's amazing in the scriptures that we see Jesus spending his last meal with his disciples after washing their feet, showing them how he wanted them to treat each other. He said, I want you guys to serve each other when I leave. And so Jesus led by example. Then he sat down and had a final meal with them. And he took some bread and broke it. He passed it around. He said, take and eat from this. This represents my body that's going to be broken for you. And then he passed around a cup of wine. He said, take a drink. This is, represents the new covenant in my blood. The new relationship between God and man. It's now the relationship that you can have with me is going to be found in and through my blood that's being shed for you. Because that blood, my blood, is going to pay for your sins. 2 Corinthians 5, the, the apostles didn't really understand what was going on. They didn't understand the significance. But by the time Paul writes to the church in Corinth for the second time, he explains it clearly. This is how he describes it to them. He says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, listen, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Put your trust in Jesus. Would you put your trust in Jesus today? As we end our service, we've got a few more songs. We're going to take communion. And you know, communion was that last supper. It was that interaction with the disciples where Jesus was telling them what was to come. He would offer his body and offer his blood to be shed, to be broken for them, to pay for their sin so they could experience that forgiveness. The same is true for you and I tonight. If you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, I just would implore you, take a moment, consider your reaction, your response to the cross. Jesus died so that you could be reconciled to him forgiven of your sins. His forgiveness isn't fair. And like I used to tell my kids at home, don't argue for dad to be fair. Fairness won't go in your favor. Pray for mercy. Pray for grace. That's what God's done for us. 
don't worry about the person next to you, the other people that you think are unforgivable and don't deserve it. And don't put yourself in that position. The truth is that God loves you deeply and he wants you in relationship with him. I'm gonna pray for communion and then we've got tables set up in the back with little packets. I encourage you to grab one of those. And let's take communion together and consider this great sacrifice that God made on our behalf. God, we thank you for your goodness to us, the love that you show to us, your heart for us. And God, we know that we are like, many times we've been like those people that, that were a part of the story, that were alive at the time of your death, that were there, either participated or watched, but none of them really understood what you were doing. And yet, God, you came to do a work on our behalf. We thank you for the sacrifice you made when you hung on the cross to die for us, to pay for our sin. We want to say thank you and we want to take a moment to remember what you did for us. Thank you again for your love and your great mercy. We pray all this in Jesus' name.